So what makes Christianity distinctive among the world's religions? Many people think that, well, all religions are basically the same, that it's all about humans striving to please this unknowable creator. But Christianity inverts things. Christianity is centered not primarily on what we do, but on what God has already done. It's not humanity reaching up to God. It's God in Christ reaching down and making a way for us to know him and to be with him forever. And so it's based on what Christ does, not based on what we do. And we see that pattern throughout Jesus' ministry, but especially in the cross, that the cross of Jesus is the central part of the Christian faith, that Jesus died for our sins and he rose from the dead to make a way for us to know God and to be with him forever. And Jesus, he comes and basically says to all kinds of people, follow me. Do you want a, a part of God's kingdom? Well, the invitation is open. Follow me. I'm making a way for you. And he says that to all sorts of people that others would probably overlook and say, yeah, God doesn't want those kind of people in his kingdom. And last week, we talked about how Matthew shows Jesus as the one with authority over all that we fear so that we can follow him into the frightening unknown that his story is bigger than our story. And that's our sermon series, a story bigger than your own. God calls us into that story and invites us. But when we follow God into that story, because it's bigger, sometimes we go into some scary things. Sometimes we have to sacrifice our small story for his bigger story. Now, you might be thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, just like all the other religions, what do we have to sacrifice for God? But again, Christianity inverts it. First of all, what has God sacrificed for you and me? He sacrificed himself. So any sacrifice we make is based on what he has done already. It's based on following him and his invitation. Christ initiates all things about the kingdom. Now, that was a long scripture, and we're not really going to treat the miracle part too much because they go with what we covered last week, that Jesus has authority over sickness, over the demonic, even has authority over death because he raises this little girl to life. And as people express their faith by coming to Jesus, Jesus shows that the kingdom of God is present in him. And that's why he does these miracles to show that, no, that um, the, the kingdom of God with its supernatural power and the spirit is present in Jesus. And those who put their faith in Jesus taste of the heavenly kingdom in, in the heavenly places, but also on earth as they taste of his healing, of his forgiveness and his word. But what about those people who aren't religious? What about those people who have a checkered past? Can they enter God's kingdom by faith? After all, God doesn't want those kinds of people, right? I mean, that's how religion works, that they don't do the right things. They, they can't enter God's kingdom because they're not, they're not making the right sacrifices. And they're not doing the right kind of stuff. Well, Matthew, the writer of, of our scripture, we're in a series in Matthew. Well, he is one of those people. After all, he was a tax collector. And tax collectors helped collect taxes to support the systemic oppression of the Jewish people by the Romans. 
He was a part of the problem. He was a sinner, and he hung around with sinners. The religious people didn't want anything to do with him. He wasn't welcomed by them. But that's how religion works, right? And so imagine the shock when Jesus, a noted rabbi, a noted teacher, growing in fame, comes to Matthew, who's in his tax booth, and says, follow me. He says, Matthew, the kingdom of God is open to people like you. Just follow me in faith. Right? That's what Matthew 9, 9 says. It says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And Matthew rose and followed him. And then as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. So Jesus, he calls Matthew to be his disciple. And this is a part of Matthew's story. Uh, Matthew, he writes the story of God in this gospel that we're reading, but it's, it's his story too. It's a part of his story. But guess who Matthew celebrates his newfound faith with? Guess who he invites to say, hey, I'm, uh, I'm following this Jesus guy. He's called me into his kingdom, and now I'm following him in faith. Guess who he invites? Well, the people that he hangs around with, other tax collectors, other sinners. And Jesus, he's eating with them, which in that society is a sign of acceptance. And so this implies Jesus is open to these other sinners also entering God's kingdom, just like Matthew. But wait a minute, that's, that's not how religion works. They don't deserve this type of treatment. They've done nothing to deserve being, you know, getting an invitation by this noted rabbi into the kingdom of God. And so the religious leaders, verse 11, the Pharisees, when they saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So the Pharisees, they object to, to Jesus fellowshipping with people like Matthew. People who had not previously followed God. These were sinners. And Jesus, who claimed to be from God, he was welcoming sinners. This is not how religion works. You need to earn your place. You, you need to do something to gain entry into God's kingdom. But Jesus, he's doing something different. He was, he's extending grace. He's offering himself. Because if you, the kingdom of God is really about the king, right? That wherever the king is, there is the kingdom. And Jesus, he is the Messiah king. And if you have him, then you have the kingdom. And so when he invites people to follow him and they, follow, they place their faith and follow him, they are entering into that kingdom. The kingdom of God is centered on God. It's centered on God's invitation, on his work in Christ. It's not centered on what we do. Your entry into God's kingdom is thanks to the invitation. And that changes everything. No, you don't change everything to get in. No, God has changed everything to get you in. And then as you enter into that kingdom, as you follow God, of course, there's going to be changes. Because now you're a citizen of the kingdom. Your identity has changed from sinner, tax collector, or fill in the blank to a beloved child of God. 
filled with the Holy Spirit of God. But it's about what God has done in Christ, not primarily about we do, what we do. Now, for those who are focused on, you know, our own religious duties, on what we need to do, on what other people need to do, this is difficult to grasp. And, and that's why Jesus says to the, the Pharisees, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And he quotes Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. I've called not to call, come, I, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. You see, God is full of grace, and he wants to forgive. He wants to show mercy. He's not this unknowable God who is aloof. He is a God who reaches down to his wayward creation. And the ultimate display of that mercy is sending Jesus. So those who truly understand it, who truly get the kingdom, are those who get that God is full of mercy. And it's more about what God does and who he is than our sacrifices on what we do. And again, that is so different because most religions, if not all, they prioritize, well, what do we need to do for God? Do this, don't do that. But Christianity prioritizes what God has done for us. So Jesus, he calls Matthew and he tells everyone, the kingdom of God is here in me. So instead of going whatever way you're going, you know, follow me. That's what repent is, because he says, repent and follow me. So whichever way you're going, no, you're invited. The kingdom of God is where I'm at, and I'm inviting you to be a part of that kingdom, to follow me and be a part of my family. God has made a way. So no matter what you were, a tax collector, a sinner, Jesus has made a way, and that's good news. But the righteous... Those who think, no, I've already performed the proper actions. I've made the proper sacrifices. I do more than most people, so I think I, I'm, I'm, I'm the one of the godly ones. And then they assume, all right, well, if Jesus is from God, well, he should be hanging around with me, not them. And then not only do we misunderstand God's mercy for people, but in our pride, we don't see how we need mercy ourselves. And that's what was happening with the Pharisees. And so I think this first application, the important question that we need to ask ourselves is, what kind of religion do we have? It's important because Christianity is a different kind of religion. It's not focused on what we do. It's not focused on, you know, I'm, I'm, I've done enough. I'm fine, thank you. I don't need that. I think we have Drake to help us with that. Do we have a, do we have a Drake meme? There we go. That many of us like, yeah, I don't, I don't need Jesus. Like, I, I'm okay. I'm fine the way I am. I've done enough. And that, that type of religion comes in two forms. It comes in a religious form, but in our day, it also comes in an irreligious form. What do I mean? The religious variety says, no, I, try, I follow what God says to do and what he says not to do. Uh, this is like the Pharisees of that day. Um, and so, yeah, I can enter the kingdom of God because I do the things that I'm supposed to do. So when the kingdom of God comes, yeah, I, I can enter. I'm, I'm fine, Jesus. I don't need. I don't need you. That's the religious variety. 
But then in our culture, there's an irreligious variety, a sort of secular cultural one where, because everyone has a religion, even people who don't believe in God have a religion. And that religion is, all right, what do you see as things that we should or shouldn't do? What's the purpose of life? What saves us? What gives meaning? What are our ethics? What's right and wrong? That's your religion, even if you don't believe in God. And the religion of our day says, well, I try to be a good person. I'm true to myself. That's the highest virtue in our culture right now, to be true to yourself. So we say, oh, I'm true to myself. Um, I've done more good than bad. So I'm fine. I, I don't need this Jesus. No, thank you. Because if we have a I'm fine as I am type of religion, whether we're religious or irreligious, then we're not going to see our need to follow Jesus. And so we're going to assume God, yeah, God already approves of me and my kind of people. But the warning in Matthew chapter 7, we read it a couple months ago, but in other places, is that when we stand before God, we're going to see how we're not fine as we are at all, that we really missed the mark, that there is no reason based on our behavior that we should be a part of God's kingdom. When we stand before God, there's no reason based on our own behavior. It's then that we're going to see how radically different Christianity is. And, then, and how radically we need Jesus to come into our lives. We'll see that, oh, that's why Jesus opened the invitation to God's kingdom to everyone. Because everyone needs that. Everyone needs God to work on their behalf. Everyone needs forgiveness. Because none of us are fine as we are. Whether we're religious or irreligious. And in Jesus' ministry, those who knew, I have no chance of getting in God's kingdom. They're the ones who, when Jesus said, no, I invite you, you can come, I've invited you, they run to Jesus right away because they know they have nothing to offer. Matthew, the tax collector, his whole life he's been told, yeah, you're one of those people. And so he saw his need. But the thing is, we all have a great need for Jesus, and we're going to see that when we stand before God. And so first and foremost, I ask you, if you have this I'm fine kind of religion, then run to Jesus. He's inviting you. He is saying the kingdom is for you. But do, will you see it? Will I see it? Or will we be so focused on, well, Christianity, I need to do this, I need to do that. Or those people there, they got to do that, they, that. No, Christianity is centered on Christ. And so the basics of our faith is saying, yes, Jesus, I, I trust in you. I trust in your work. It's not about what I've done or failed to do or will do or what other people do. It's about what Christ has done. And if you have the king, you have the kingdom. And that's the promise here. That's the invitation here. Just quickly... You might be like, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. I kind of get that. Problem is, is even if we understand that, even if we have said, I trust in Christ's sacrifice, because religion, the way that we normally, religion is wired in us, we often get tripped up by this radically different kind of faith that's centered in Christ. And we see that in our scripture in, in Matthew 9, 14 and 15. 
It says the disciples of John. So the Pharisees had problems with Jesus. We kind of understand that. But then the disciples of John, this is John the Baptist. You know, John the Baptist who said, behold, the Lamb of God, this is Jesus, follow him. Some of his disciples first follow, some of Jesus' disciples first follow John the Baptist. And John the Baptist said, no, follow this guy. So the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. So, so John the Baptist's followers come, and they surprisingly, they have an issue with Jesus' ministry as well. They're looking at people's actions, right? They're saying, Where, where's the fasting? Why don't your disciples fast? Where's the fasting? I'm not seeing the actions of these people that I expect. Because, and Jesus says, well, no, if, if Jesus is bringing the kingdom, right, and that's what John the Baptist said, well, then shouldn't they be preparing? Shouldn't they be fasting? Shouldn't they be sacrificing? All of these things, if Jesus is bringing the kingdom, don't they need these things to gain entry into the kingdom? They don't understand it, John the Baptist's followers. They don't. But the kingdom of God is present in Jesus so you don't need to prepare to receive the kingdom. They just receive it in Jesus. Again, the center of gravity of God's kingdom, it's not what we do. It's Christ. It's who he is, what he's done. Just like a wedding, and this Jesus uses this illustration, just like a wedding is not centered on what the guests do. The wedding is centered on the groom and the bride. What they're doing, right? When you come to a, a wedding, it's about, it's, who's, the, who's the central uh, person? It's the bride, it's the groom. That's the one who the feast is about. And so Jesus, he uses this picture to explain that he is the groom. He is there. There's no fasting and mourning needed because the kingdom is here and present in Jesus. And the amazing thing about this is that in the Old Testament, this imagery of a wedding feast, it's often used for the, the day of the Lord when he will come and change things and makes things new. But guess who the groom is in the Old Testament? It's the Lord. It's the Yahweh. And now Jesus is saying, no, I'm here. I am the groom. So now is the time of joy. Now is the time to enter the kingdom. But later, there'll be a time of mourning and fasting. And that's why in Lent, when we observe Lent, we, we fast, we pray, why we're preparing ourselves for the Lord's return. But when the Lord is there, the kingdom is there. See, Christianity is centered on Jesus and what he's done. And the Pharisees and even John's disciples, they're having trouble recognizing, wait, this radically different nature because by default, we are human-centered, we think about what we need to do, what other people need to do, instead of what God has done. That's, what we're, that's why all religions tend to do that, focus on what people do instead of what God has done. And so Jesus, he gives two illustrations for this that actually make it harder for us to understand, but at the time it made it easier for people to understand. He talks about these, this whole thing in, in verse 16 and 17. You don't put in, an old, a piece of unshrunk cloth and an old garment. You don't put um, new wine into old wineskins, all that stuff. Now, that for us is a little bit difficult because when we get a hole in our clothes, what do we do? We just throw it away, get something new. 
Well, back then, of course, you would, you would put a patch on, the on your cloth. So if you had pants, right, you would sew a nice, you know, a nice tight patch on there so you could continue to use them. Problem is, is that if you put new cloth on old cloth, well, what happens? The new cloth will shrink more when it's washed. So you put that patch on there nice and tight. Well, when it dries and it's washed and it shrinks, it's ruined. Now, wineskins. A lot of you are like, yeah, I don't, I don't even know what that is. We, we get our wine in a bottle. Well, I think I have a picture of a wineskin up there. Yeah, wineskins are animal skins. And what you would do is you would put your grape juice in these animal skins, and it would ferment in these animal skins. And when things ferment, what happens? They expand. They give off gas. And so it expands the wineskin, so it stretches. Now, if you have a, a wineskin that's already been stretched, an old wineskin, because something's already been fermented in it, and then you pour new wine into that, and it ferments and bubbles and puts off gas again, it will burst. So all of these things, all of these illustrations have that same point, and that is the old can't handle the new. The, the old ways of thinking, our normal worldly ways, often can't handle and burst when the good news of the gospel that's so Jesus-centered comes in. The, the Pharisees couldn't handle it. Even John's disciples had trouble holding that good news. Now, if we were to make that analogy today, something that more people would understand, we might say something like, you can't put um, new software on an old computer, right? Because the system will crash. So I think that one, if we were to sort of say, what's a modern illustration? But again, the application is the same, that we can't rely on our old, traditional, human-centered categories when it comes to understanding and receiving the gospel. It just won't hold it. And that's why many people, they either don't accept the gospel of Christianity and the, the gospel of Jesus, or they're sort of a Christian, but then they fall away because they don't, we don't understand the radically different nature of the gospel, that it is centered in Christ and what he has done and what, not what we do. And so what old ways of thinking, what traditions or presuppositions are you clinging to that keeps you from embracing all that Jesus has. Because he's the groom. And he's invited us to a great wedding feast with him. But what happens? Well, we're hung up on, oh, the, the bride. She's wearing yellow and not white. Or, oh, look at the table settings. They're, they're strange. They're different. They're not up to proper etiquette. And what happens is we miss out on the joy that the groom is here, that the kingdom is here, and he's invited us, even though we don't deserve it. So we either miss out on the joy or we miss out on the banquet entirely. So follow him in faith. This is the key, the key to Christian living, the, the key to becoming a Christian, the key to living out your Christian faith. It's all means, it's, it's all the same. It's being centered on Jesus and what he has done. 
And so if, if you're not a Christian, if you're someone who's like, well, I'm sort of I'm just getting to understand what Christianity is all about, let me tell you, stop looking at yourself. Stop looking at the people around you and look to Jesus. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the one, and it's our faith in him and who he is, that, that caught in his invitation, responding to his invitation. That's how we step into the gospel. That's how we step into Christianity. And so if that's you, I invite you as Jesus invited you. I don't, I don't know what you've done or who you are, but I do know that invitation is to you just as it was open to Matthew. But I also say if you're a Christian and you're struggling and you don't feel Christianity as something that brings you great freedom, then maybe we're getting stuck in the old ways of thinking. Maybe that new wine of the gospel is, is finding old wineskins in our hearts. And that we are thinking about, oh, I need to do this, or I need to do that, instead of focusing on what Christ has done. In my Christian walk, I know that when I start to focus on myself, what I need to do, what I don't, don't need to do, that's when I often stumble. But when I focus on Christ and the freedom that he gave, because he's the one who invited me into his kingdom, that's when I start to walk in the freedom. That's when I start to get the focus off myself and onto him. That's when I have victory. That's when I start to walk in that freedom of the new wine because it is based on what Christ has done and not what I do. And Christ is changeless. He's already given the sacrifices. God is already pleased with him. And so I just need to respond to that and keep my eyes on Jesus. So wherever you are today, I'm inviting you to step into the kingdom of God that's centered on Jesus. Step into what he has already done. If you're struggling, get your eyes off the struggle. Get your eyes off yourself. Get your eyes off on the other people who are giving, making it hard for you. And let's get our eyes on Jesus. And then we start to walk in that freedom. The new wine of the gospel is radically centered on Jesus and what he's done. So let's radically change our minds and receive that good news for all that it is. Let's pray. Dear God, we do thank you and we repent, God. We repent of our human-centered, self-centered ways of thinking. Lord, whether we're irreligious or religious, we all need you. None of us can stand before you, but we're so grateful like Matthew, like you invited Matthew, the tax collector, that you're inviting us now, Lord, each one of us here or watching online, you're inviting us to follow you no matter what we've done or where we've been. And Lord, I pray that the good news, that invitation, it would resound in our hearts so that many people would take a step towards you today. And Lord, for those who have already trusted in you as their king and followed you, Lord, we pray that we would follow you today. We would respond to your calling. And Lord, we, we repent of focusing on ourselves. Lord, may we walk in the freedom of your gift, of your invitation. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.